Well, good morning, everyone. If you'll please stand with us and worship together.
Amen. You may be seated. So when we do a new song for the first time, we like to do it back-to-back weeks. Uh, we won't sing that song every week, but I'm telling you, over the next two months, we could sing that song every week. Uh, it's a great reminder that our hope is in Jesus Christ, and it is a living hope. Amen. It is a living hope. And man, our prayer for you here at Northside is that you know that living hope that is Jesus Christ. And if you do know that hope, that you will walk in confidence of that, that Jesus Christ has saved you and changed you. Well, good morning and welcome to Northside Baptist Church. We are so glad that you are here. I noticed some new faces again, and that is so exciting when we have new faces uh, with us. You are our guest, and we want to welcome you. We want you to feel welcomed. We want you to know that we love you, Jesus loves you, and we're here to serve you and help you to know and become more like Jesus. If you are our first-time guest or maybe our second-time guest, inside the bulletin is a place for you to fill out some information. Now, last week, I forgot to tell you what to do with that once you filled it out. So you have a couple options. I begged you to fill it out and then forgot to tell you what to do with it. Um, So when you're done filling it out, you can either give it to me on your way out or there's a a, a box out there in the foyer. You can just set that in, put it in the box uh, when you're done. Again, it just helps me to remember your name. You can tell me your name, and I should remember it, but I just got to confess I'm not good at that. That's a weakness of mine, and so I'll forget it. So if I can see it written down, uh, that helps. So we just want to serve you. We want to love on you. And if there's any way that we can pray for you, whether you're a guest or uh, a church member here, you can also let us know that by filling um, out the back of that as well. I encourage you just to look over uh, the bulletin, several announcements, and we'll highlight some of those um, at the end of the service. Uh, The praying the scripture this morning comes from Psalm 16, uh, verse 2. It's a a verse that I was reading earlier in the week in in my prayer time, and it just really hit me. And so chapter 16, verse 2 of Psalm says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Church, we have no good apart from God our Father. Man, every good gift we have is from him. And so I just want you to take a moment as you, as that verse is in front of you, just for you to think through that verse and just take a minute, man, just to have a time of praise, of, of celebration, of worship right now where you are, just thanking God for every good gift. And if you're having a hard time recognizing some of those gifts, would you just cry out, Father, open my eyes that I might see what you're doing in me and around me. So take a moment, pray through that verse, and then I'll pray for us, and then we're going to continue to worship together.
Oh God, we have already declared through song that your grace is enough. We have already declared, oh God, that you are our living hope. We're about to declare, God, our adoration for you as we declare that we adore you. We're going to sing about trusting and obeying. Father, we're going to hear what I believe is, is meant to be a very encouraging word for us this morning from 1 John. But God, we also just want to, in this moment, just to pour out our hearts that should be filled with gratitude. Because every good thing, God, that we have comes from you. And apart from you, God, we have no good thing. So we declare with the psalmist this morning, Lord, you are my Lord, and I have no good apart from you. God, you are welcome here. God, you have every, every right, Lord, just to rule and reign over this place this morning, over every heart and life that is here. So, Spirit of God, come. Move in us in such a powerful way that when every single one of us walks out of this place this morning, we can declare, man, God showed up today. God was here. And however we came this morning, when we leave, there'll be one thing on our mind, and that is praising the name of Jesus Christ. So, Spirit of God, move in this place. Speak to our hearts, soften our hearts, convict our hearts, and then, oh God, reassure our hearts, we pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Would you stand? Let's continue to worship together.
watch the soldiers gather round him in this dark Gethsemane. See him stand before old Pilate, hear the crowd cry, crucify. Watch our blessed Savior suffer, see him bow his head and die. Watch them take his bleeding body, see them lay him in the tomb. Watch them wrap him in the grave clothes, they anoint him with perfume. Now they'll wait, they'll watch and worry, though they knew he had to die. And while they waited for his promise, Christ was very much alive. See him take the keys of Satan, watch him shake. Stand again as we sing Trust and Obey. When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on our way. Let us do His good will. He abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Obey, for there's no other way 
and take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 John. If any of our children are still in here that want to go to children's church, second grade, down to our three-year-olds, you can make your way to the education building. Hopefully most of you kind of followed the, the crowd that went there. 1 John chapter 3, we're in verses 19 through 24 this morning, and this is the word of the Lord. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. You may be seated. D.L. Moody tells the story of a time in which a man approached him and said to the famous D.L. Moody, uh, you know, Mr. Moody, I don't feel saved. He was worried about it. He said, I don't feel saved. So Moody asked this man, he said, was Noah safe in the ark? Was Noah safe in the ark? And and the man puzzled at first, said, yeah, he was safe. And so D.L. Moody followed that up with this question. Well, what made him safe? His feeling or the ark? There's a point to that. And the reason I shared that story to begin this morning is this. Our scripture, our passage, verses 19 through 24 this morning, deals with assurance of salvation. So let me, right off the bat, 
give you some good news in case you start to tune me out in five minutes. Here's the good news. Your assurance of salvation is not based upon a feeling, but it is based upon the finished work of Jesus Christ. Some of you walked in this morning, and if you're honest, you don't feel saved. Right? You're struggling, maybe with guilt, struggling with assurance of salvation. You would just say, look, I don't feel it. And the good news is, if you have put your faith in Jesus, you have trusted in Christ, then your salvation is sure. And this passage is a passage on assurance. Look how he begins in verse 19. By this we shall know. Verse 24, and by this we know. And then you flip over to chapter 5, verse 13. John says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may, what? Know that you have eternal life. And so, in case you haven't been with us or you missed a couple weeks, let me just kind of remind you of what John's doing here in this letter. He's primarily doing two things. One, he is writing to expose the false professors of faith. Those who are claiming to still belong to Jesus, though their life is now denying their profession. And in doing that, he is also writing to assure those who possess eternal life. And so here's what John does. John sets forth three tests. Three tests. A moral test. Do you hate sin? And do you love God? And he's saying, listen, to those of you who, who are living in sin, you love sin and yet still believe you can follow Jesus, he says, you're lying. You have a false profession of faith. He says another test is a theological test. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? And as we've seen, these false teachers who have left the faith are now denying that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So he's saying, Look, listen, you can't deny Jesus is the Christ and still have eternal life. And then the third test is the social test. Do you love your brother? So follow this. He is exposing the false teachers. But as he sets this standard... Of do you hate sin, do you love God, do you love your brother, right? And do you love and believe in the name of Jesus Christ? John, as a pastor, knows what's likely to happen. So I want you to notice the first thing this morning from our text, and that is this. We have a need for assurance. There's a need for assurance. Look what he says here in verse 20. For whenever our heart condemns us. Notice that we have a tendency to look at our failures. See, what's likely to happen as John sets these three tests forward, those who are actually in Christ may quickly realize how often they're failing, how they're not measuring up. You and I have a tendency to look at our failures, and I can prove it from my own life, and I have a feeling this is true of you. If you were to think back upon this past week, what sticks out to you the most? The times you failed or the times you actually responded appropriately? The times you got it right? Remember last week I shared personally from my own life how I'd been studying about loving one another. Had just been studying it, picked Malachi up from school, right? And then in the bathroom, he's refusing to go to the bathroom and I lose my cool and I don't love him the way that I should. You know what I remember from last week? The failure. I don't remember the times I actually lovingly corrected him or, or did the right thing. We, we tend to remember our failures. And so when we're thinking about do we love God, 
We see our failures. Do we love others? We see our failures. How many times have we failed to profess Christ, failed to share Christ? We see our failures. And when we see our failures, what happens? Our heart begins to condemn ourselves. Notice we also, our hearts sometimes need reassurance. For every single one of us in this room, there will come a point when there is a crisis of assurance. When we really begin to look at our life and wonder, am I saved? Right? We begin to feel like hypocrites. Like, man, I'm a follower of Jesus, and yet I keep doing fill in the blank. Why do I keep doing fill in the blank? And we, we feel like a failure, and so we have this crisis of assurance. James Montgomery Boyce writes, you know, John here is a pastor. He has a pastor's heart, and as a pastor, John knows that in spite of all he has said, there will still be some who feel condemned in their own eyes, and who are therefore depressed by this and lack assurance. So when Satan begins to accuse you, and your heart begins to condemn you, and you have this crisis of assurance, am I really saved? What are you going to rest in? What are you going to trust in? Are you going to say, well, I remember when I was 10 years old, I walked an aisle. I remember when I was 12 years old, I got baptized. I remember I filled out that card with Miss Barbara over there. I mean, I remember that. Is that what you're going to fall back on? No. There has to be something that you can stand upon and say, listen, I'm not where I want to be. And I'm wrestling with this guilt and I need to confess my sin and repent of my sin. But at the end of the day, I know I'm a believer in Christ. So there's a need for us to be reassured. There's a reason John is writing these verses. Here's the second thing I want you to notice, and that is this, the basis for our assurance. What are you resting in this morning? What is the evidence in your life of a changed life? John puts forth two things. Two things in these verses, certainly he can add more, and he does, in fact, add more other places. But for our sake, our purpose, there's two Number one is this, sacrificially loving the brothers is evidence. This should reassure your heart that you know Jesus. Look what he says, verse 19. By this we shall know. Two words there, by this. Okay, is that by this looking back to what he has already said or looking forward to what he is about to say? I think it's looking back. Here's the reason why. Verse 19, by this we shall know that we are of the truth. Okay, go up to verse 18. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in what? Truth. Truth is used in 18. By this we shall know that we are of the truth. Verse 19. So I think it's looking back to verse 18. But then let's go back a little bit further. Verse 16. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Sacrificially loving the brothers is the by this that John is referring to. We talked about, because Christ laid down his life, we are to sacrificially lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters. So John is saying, we know we are of the truth, we know that we belong to Jesus Christ, who is true, when we have a sacrificial love for the brothers and sisters. And when we can see this in our life, this reassures our hearts that we are saved. 
Here's what we tend to do. And I understand why. And we need to be quick to confess our sin and repent of our sin. But what we do as human beings, and I am chief in this, is we tend to focus on our failures. We tend to examine our heart and all we see is where we're falling short. Yes, we need to see that. Because if we don't see it, then we can't confess and repent. But I want to challenge you this morning to begin to focus on what God is doing in your life. Instead of focusing on the failures where you don't measure up, begin to look for the evidence of love for other believers. Why? Because you and I, in our flesh, will not love the way Jesus calls us to love in verse 16 and 17. So when you respond by selflessly loving your brother and sister, when you respond to your spouse in a way that pleases Christ, when maybe in the past you wouldn't have responded that way, when you respond in the right way to your children, when in the past you would have lost your cool, when you find yourself at the, the restaurant not getting upset when in the past you would have got upset, or, or when your boss comes to you in a way that maybe isn't the most loving and corrects you, and instead of defending yourself, you humble yourself. When you begin to see these changes in your life, understand they're there through the power of the Spirit of God. It's not you. It is evidence that you belong to Jesus because he's changing you. And it's hard to find those sometimes. I mean, right now, again, if I told you to list the times you blew it this past week, our list would be long. But how many times did you see the Spirit of God at work in you? We're not as quick to notice that. And so, man, I want to challenge you. Begin to see the evidence of God's work in your life. Begin to see that because that is evidence that God is doing something in you. I'm, I'm going to brag for a moment on some people in our church, and I'm not going to mention names because I didn't get their approval, and I don't like to mention names unless I have their approval. Uh, but this past week, um, we had a, a couple of our students last Sunday who loved, I believe as Christ would have them to love, and went up and spoke to some people that we had visiting, some other students. Some of those same students went last Sunday night to Waffle House, and there while they were at Waffle House, began to just love on the waitress and ask the waitress how they could pray for them. You know what that is? That's evidence that God's at work in their life. Right? And I shared that not really to pat them on the back, though I'm patting them on the back, but to say, let's look for those opportunities and praise God. But we got to see it this week. Uh, Mark and BJ and I went out to lunch, and, and Mark was going to uh, pay for the bill until an older gentleman walked by and I guess noticed us pray. Maybe I'm loud. Maybe heard me talking, knew what we were talking about. I mean, I don't know how to be quiet. And uh, he walked by and asked us what church we were from. And then he took the bill and walked away. Like that's evidence of someone who's loving sacrificially other people. He didn't go to church here, but he saw that we were brothers in Christ and he chose to love us by paying for the bill. Now that didn't affect me either way, but it sure did help Mark, I'm sure. And so, right? Uh, so Mark really had reason to praise the Lord. Now, I didn't ask Mark if I could share that story, but I'm sure he won't mind. Um, right? But that's evidence. Man, so look for those. Look for those. And when you see them, don't do this. But praise God. 
that he's working through your life. That's evidence of God in us. But then he gives us another one. And the second point I want you to see is God's knowledge of us, his omniscience. Look, look what John says. For whenever our heart condemns us, and it will, we're going to experience that. Our hearts are going to condemn us. We're going to feel guilty. Look what he says. God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Wow. God is greater than our heart that condemns ourselves, and he knows everything. God knows our hearts. God knows everything. God sees everything. God hates sin far more than I could ever hate sin. God knows more about my life than I would ever know about my own life. God knows your deepest secrets, and he knows my deepest secrets. Question, should that terrify you or encourage you? At first glance, it may terrify you. You mean everything I do is bare before God, like he sees it all, yes. But notice for John, this isn't reason to be terrified, but this is reason to be assured and encouraged. John Stott summarizes it well. His omniscience should relieve, not terrify us. How? How should knowing that God knows everything reassure our hearts? Here's how. Because God looks down at your life and mine. And he says, listen, Aaron, I know your heart. I know it. I know you better than you know yourself. And what I want you to understand is I love you. And I died for you. And I'm committed to making you more like my son, Jesus Christ. And God says, listen, Aaron, I know that most of the time all you see are the failures, but again, I see your heart, and I know where your motives are right, and I know where you're seeking to please me, and I know where you're seeking to honor me. And God is committed to keep working in our hearts and in our lives to make us more like his son. James Montgomery Boyce writes, God who knows all has nevertheless acquitted us before the bar of his justice on the basis of the sacrifice of Christ. Church, hear me. The minute we compare ourselves to Jesus, what we see is our sinfulness and our wretchedness. And we feel condemned because we know we are guilty. We know we do not measure up. But we keep looking to Jesus. And we keep looking to Jesus. And he reminds us that he loves us and that he died for us, and that he forgives us. So yes, maybe you walked in, and you don't feel saved, and maybe you walked in, and you feel condemned because you haven't been living for the Lord. Hear me. Confess it. Repent of it. And turn from it. But maybe the reason you lack assurance is all that you can see this morning is the negative and the failure. What I'm calling you to do is take your eyes off of yourself, look to God, who's your ultimate uh, reason for assurance, and rest and trust in him. And allow the Spirit of God begin, to begin to show you what He's doing in your life. So what, what's the basis? Well, He says here, do you love your brother and sister? And then the other basis is the fact that God knows everything there is to know about us. And then third, notice this, the result of assurance. What's the result? What's the result when you leave here this morning if you feel more assured than you did when you came in. Well, look what he says in verse 21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Here's the one result we see in these verses, and that is this. You have a confident prayer life. You have a confident prayer life. I mean, think about this. If you and I stand condemned, you will have no confidence before God. None. 
Like if all you can see is your sinfulness and the guilt, you, you will have no confidence to go into the presence of God. You will have no confidence that your prayers will be heard or answered because all that you see is the sin. Satan is constantly accusing you. There'll be zero confidence. But what does John say? Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence. That word confidence means boldness. It means freedom of speech. Because you know that Christ has saved you. And your confidence is not in yourself, but in him. Confidence before God. Danny Aiken writes the phrase before God portrays an intimate, relational, face-to-face encounter with the Heavenly Father. Church, you and I ought to run into the presence of God. We ought to rush into the presence of God. Not because we're worthy, but because we are children of God. Now, imagine, right, if the president was coming to, to Noonan, and right, his secret service, and everybody's protecting him, and I try to walk up, say, hey, I just want to see the president. Man, they're not going to let me anywhere near him. They're going to be like, who are you? I, I'm pastor at Northside. Oh, we don't care. Like, you're, you're, it doesn't matter. You're, you're not getting in. But now imagine the president's son walks up, and maybe they don't recognize him at first, and they say, look, we, we can't let you in here. And he says, but wait a minute. The president is my dad. Who's getting in? Not me, but the son is. Church, we are sons and daughters of God the Father. We enter into his presence with confidence. With confidence. We go to God, hear me, and we hold nothing back. We go into his presence and we ask him to help. And God delights in helping his children. He delights in answering prayer. Verse 22. And whatever we ask... We receive from him. Man, is that verse saying what I think it says? A lot of people like to take verses out of context. This is one of those verses you can just take out of context. Like John says, whatever we ask, God is going to give us. Whatever we ask, we receive from him. Is that what that means? Just ask God whatever you want and he'll give it. Like God is a genie in a lamp right here. And you just rub it, ask your wish, and God says, it's my pleasure to grant you that wish. No, that's not what he's saying. How do we know that? Well, we know that from other scripture. Chapter 5, right? 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his what? Will. It's got to be according to his will, right? We know that. John 14, 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. We also know that we are to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. In just a second, he's going to expand upon this verse, even here, in, in context. But let me, let me just take a, a time out here and say this about God answering your prayers. God has answered every single prayer you have ever prayed. God not only hears, but he answers. Every single prayer, God has answered. Either with a yes This is in accordance to my will, so yes, I will answer that prayer. Or no, that is not in accordance to my will. I have something far better, or that does not please me, therefore no. Or he says, wait. I will answer it, but wait. So if you're struggling with, listen, I don't feel that God's hearing my prayer. I don't feel that God is answering my prayer. Yes, he is. Just maybe not in the way you want him to. 
But he answers every single prayer. And then look what he says in context. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because why? We keep his commandments and do what pleases him. That's interesting. Do you know if you keep the commandments of God and do what pleases him, your prayers will always be in alignment with the will of God? So question for you. As you're praying, what motivates you? What motivates your prayer life? Are your prayers, is, is your life lived in such a way as to please the Lord? Or are you praying in such a way because you really only care about yourself? Or are you praying or living in such a way because you really only care about others and what other people think about you? What's motivating your prayer life? Are you praying in such a way that everything you ask is pleasing to the Lord? It's in accordance with His will. R.C. Sproul writes, Those who obey God's will also pray God's will and have their prayers answered in accordance with His will. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 says, So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. What is your aim this morning in your life? Is it to please God in all things? I pray it is. He continues, verse 23, and this is his commandment. Notice, commandment. That's singular. In the Greek, it is singular. He uses the plural form uh, in the verse before that, commandments. He'll use the plural form later on, as he has, right, in verse 24, commandments. But here, it's singular. One commandment with two prongs. And what are those two prongs? And this is his commandment, number one, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. This is the first time in this letter that the word believe appears. That we are to believe, that we are to put our faith in Jesus Christ. That we are to identify with Jesus and we keep identifying with Jesus over and over and over. And then he says, not only are we believing in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, but we also love one another. Man, that just keeps popping up, doesn't it? That we love one another, love one another, love one another. We are to have this love for one another. So if you're looking for more proof, do you believe in the name of God's Son, Jesus Christ? If you believe in that name, you're identifying with that name, that is evidence that you belong to Him. Do you continue to show love for one another? If so, that is evidence that you belong to Him. And then verse 24, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God. Now that language of abiding in God has appeared several times already in this letter. But then he introduces us to a new theme in his letter, and that is this, and God in him. God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Church. This is good news. Not only do we abide in God, but this morning God abides in us. God abides in you. So what I want you to begin to look for is the evidence of the Spirit's working in your life. Look for that evidence. Where do you see the Spirit of God in you? Why? Why should you love one another? You want to know why? Because God abides in you. And who is God? God is love. And when God who is love lives in you, you know what ought to come out? Love. 
And so when you see evidence of you loving in ways that you had before, man, give God the glory. Let that remind you that you belong to him. You know why you ought to confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? Because the Spirit of God lives in you. And the Spirit says he testifies to who Jesus is. So if someone denies that Jesus is the Christ, you know who's not in them? God. Because the Spirit of God would lead them to confess Jesus Christ. You know why you should hate sin? Because God abides in you. You know what God hates? Sin. That which is opposed to him. Church, why should we look so different than the world? Because we have something they don't. And that is the Spirit of God living in us. And the Spirit of God is committed to transforming your lives. We can't will ourselves to love people. We can't will ourselves to love God. We can't will ourselves to hate sin. We need the power of God to do that work in us. So in the 1700s, there was a well-known preacher, many of you have heard his name, by the name of Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards began to preach, and during his time of preaching, there was a great awakening here in America. Jonathan Edwards is known for a famous sermon he preached called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Here's what Edwards began to do. He began through his preaching, and not everybody received this well, but he began to exalt the holiness of God. He began to preach upon the judgment of God and the wrath of God and how it is a terrifying thing to be a sinner who falls in the hands of an angry, wrathful, just God. He began to exalt that. And he also began to exalt the fact that you and I are all sinners, that we have all disobeyed God. And so as he began to exalt the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man, an amazing thing began to happen. People begin to repent of their sins and to believe in Jesus Christ as salvation, for salvation. And there was a great awakening that took place here. But out of that came something for a lot of Christians. Whenever the holiness of God is exalted and the sinfulness of man is exalted, and even as Christians we sit under that preaching, what happens is we are constantly reminded of our failures and of our sin. So what began to happen to a lot of people is they begin to doubt their salvation. They begin to live with a lack of assurance. And so out of this, Jonathan Edwards wrote a treaty on religious affections. He began to see that though what happened in his exalting the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man, lost people got saved, those who were saved begin to kind of wonder, am I really saved? And so to help with that, to bring about assurance, Edwards began to work on this religious affections treaty. And his purpose was to help those who were wondering whether their salvation was true. And Edwards concluded this, that the accurate proof of salvation was the presence of religious affections or holy affections in a man or woman's life. That in their heart, there was a passion for righteousness. There was a zeal for holiness. That the man or the woman who had been born again has a driving passion for holiness. And so the purpose of the message this morning is to assure your hearts. It's for you to walk out of here and to be able to say, look, I see the evidence of God in me, therefore I know I am saved. But here's the thing. I can't answer that question for you. I don't know your heart. 
You know it. And God knows your heart better than you know it. But here's what I can ask you. Are there any holy affections in your life right now? Is there any religious zeal, zeal that you have for the Lord? Is there anything in you that would give evidence to, yes, I belong to Jesus? Are you today still as committed to identifying with the name of Jesus as you were the day you gave your life to Christ? If you still can say Jesus is Lord and Savior of my life and you want to please him and live for him, that is a holy, righteous zeal. Now listen, it may not be where you want it to be, but it's there. And and it's burning. And the Spirit of God wants to fan those flames. Listen, have you begun to love your brothers and sisters in Christ in a greater way? If so, that is a holy, righteous zeal. Do you hate sin? If so, that is a holy, righteous zeal. Now hear me. If you love your sin and you're indifferent to Jesus Christ and there is hate in your heart, you are a sinner and you are in the hands of an angry God. You don't need a false profession or a false assurance of faith. You need faith. You need Jesus. You need to repent of your sins and believe in his name, and you need to get saved for the first time. If there is no evidence of Christ or the Spirit in you, then you're not saved. None of us are where we want to be. None of us are where we should be. None of us are where we are ultimately going to be. But can you this morning say, by God's grace, I am not who I once was? Can you say that, church? Can you say that? Look, I'm, I'm, I'm hard on myself at times. I, I understand that. I recognize that. Man, I have a tendency to, to beat myself up at times. Man, I, I was beating myself up last Sunday morning. You may not notice that, but I was. And, and I was very unsure when I stood up here to preach. And by God's grace, man, he still did something through it in spite of me. And, and so this week, man, God just assured me, listen, there, there's holy affections there. I'm working in you. Start looking for those things and stop beating yourself up. So brother and sister in Christ, you are not meant to live uncertain of your eternal life. You are meant to live knowing that you know Jesus, knowing that you're going to spend an eternity with him, and knowing he is doing a work in you now, and you want other people to know about this Jesus in your life. Man, do you know that you know that you know that you're saved? If not, will you just come talk to me after the service? Because I don't want you wrestling with that. I want you living in that confidence before God that by his grace and through his mercy, you are a child of God. And if you're not sure, if you, if you really think, man, I don't know Jesus, man, would you give your life to Jesus this morning? Would you believe in him? Would you believe in him? Where's God at work in your life? Ask the Spirit of God to help identify those and then give him the praise and the glory for that. Would you close your eyes and bow your head? In just a moment, we're going to sing together. We're going to sing, Tis So Sweet, to trust in Jesus. Are you trusting in Jesus this morning? Man, is Jesus working in your heart and in your life? 
Man, can you say, look, I love Jesus more today than I did five years ago. I love Jesus today more than I did a year ago. Can you say, look, I love other people more than I did a year ago, and, and, I, and the Spirit of God is just convicting me, and He's showing my sinfulness, and I'm confessing it and repenting of it, that He is working in me. Are you willing to stand in a world that is more and more becoming hostile to those who profess the name of Jesus? Are you willing to stand in the midst of that and say, look, my faith is rock solid in Jesus, and I will not waver from that? Some of you walked in, and man, Satan has been beating you up all week. And you just need to hear the words this morning. God loves you. And he's doing something in your life. Will you submit to that? Will you surrender to that? Well, this morning, will you trust in the name of Jesus? If you have never believed in Jesus, will you confess that and cry upon him right now to save you from your sins? Will you turn to Jesus? Will you ask him to restore the joy of your salvation, the confidence that you should have in Christ and who he is? And will you begin to look and to identify and to praise God for the way he's changing you and your life? Let's give him the glory. Father, speak. As we sing, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Right now, oh God, may our hearts trust in Jesus. Reassure us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? Let's sing together. you'll just remain standing for just a minute. Let me just say, if the Spirit of God was moving in your heart, speaking to your heart, whether it's convicting you of sin or just reassuring you of His grace and His mercy, will you just share that with me on your way out? I'm available. I'll be right out there, and we can just step off to the side and just talk. I don't want to hear what God's doing um, in your life. Just some important announcements. Uh, Our women's ministry, they're having another Bible study uh, this evening. I want to encourage you to come at 4 o'clock. We have all our other evening activities um, as well. We have camp dates uh, in there that you want to make note of. There's also an announcement about an app. Um, It actually says that it's a new app. It's not a new app. Um, It's actually an old app uh, that we've had for a while. Um, But there is an app that you can download that you can watch uh, sermons and live streams if if you're out and about. It's one of the easiest ways to do it. Um, If you miss a Sunday, we're also having our Wednesday night Bible studies that I'm putting online as well. And so it just kind of walks you through 
um, that. It talks about the events. The events that are listed on there are back from like 2018, so that's not accurate. Um, I don't know how to update that, but we'll, we'll try to get that figured away, uh, figured out. And, uh, but just it's another way for you uh, just to keep track of what's going on. Man, it's been a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Man, God is good, and he loves you, and we want you to know that and walk in that. Uh, Bill is our deacon of the week, so he's going to come uh, and dismiss us with the word of prayer. Lord God, there's no better place to be right here, right now, in your presence. We thank you for your word today. I pray that we don't focus on our sins and our failures other than to despise our sin. And Lord, as we leave these doors and go out into the world that we can get caught up into so quickly, I pray that our behaviors reflect that we abide in you and you abide in us. Pray for your protection on this church and all these people until we meet here again. Thank you, Jesus.